Well, friends, as always, uh, wonderful to be uh, here with you uh, this afternoon as we continue on in this uh, parable series. We find ourselves in uh, Luke chapter 13. Uh, so please do turn there in your Bibles now. Uh, that will be of great help to me and maybe of a great encouragement to you. For by turning there, hopefully, you'll be able to see that I'm not making it up. And Luke chapter 13, that's the big number 13. If you're unfamiliar with using a Bible and verse 6, the little number 6. And once you're there, will you please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word. And Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it. And found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Please be seated. A tattooed man walks by the crucifixion scene. Smoke rises. The picture is black and white. A switchblade lies over a Bible and a steady drumbeat begins. The tattooed man sings in a, in a very haunting voice. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Well, you may throw your rock and hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man. But as sure as God made black and white, what's down in the dark will be brought to the light. The drumbeat continues. The tattooed man smiles and then brings forth a body bag. He starts to bury it by the cross and sings again. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, Tell him that God's going to cut you down. The music video released exactly one year ago to this day is not a nice one. And that is the very point. For the singer of those haunting lyrics, the famous shock rocker Marilyn Manson wants to make the point that God is not nice either. The song, God's Gonna Cut You Down, is found on his Heaven Upside Down album. Manson's cover of the old folk song is a shot at the old folk who still read their Bibles and live in constant fear of a God who is not nice, a God of the Bible, a God who cuts down. Indeed, with a cross in the background, one wonders in the music video whether Manson is actually burying God with his lyrics. For what person in 2020 worships a God who sooner or later is going to cut people down? 
Wouldn't it be far better if we just buried such notions of God as, as many theologians seek to do today? Or better still, according to Manson, just bury the notion of God altogether. For who wants a God who is going to cut people down? In this simple four-verse parable, which you just read, our main character is undoubtedly God. In previous parables, as we've seen, different people in the crowd have been painted by Jesus to highlight who is in God's kingdom. And so we've seen main characters who are in, like the Good Samaritan, who models the compassion of the kingdom. And we've seen main characters who are out, just like last week, like the rich fool who models a selfishness that bars him from God's kingdom. And in future parables, we shall see that those main characters lined up right next to each other in comparison. The Pharisee and the tax collector, the lost son, the older brother. But this week, in a sense, that there is no hero or villain. There is no kingdom type and and kingdom anti-type. Instead, the main character is the king himself. The main character is God. And yet alarmingly, the picture of God seemingly painted by the Lord Jesus at first glance is is a greedy capitalist or an intolerant gardener, a rainforest destroyer, an axe wielding maniac may be, one of who sooner or later is going to cut people down. Friends, is this the God that you worship? Perhaps you cheered Jesus on in Luke 11 when Jesus described God as the, as the generous father. Perhaps you can't wait for, to join us for, for Luke 15 when we shall hear of, of God being described as, as the searching shepherd who looks for the lost. But today, maybe like Marilyn Manson, this parable just makes you want to bury this notion of God, maybe even Christianity altogether. Well, friends, in light of those forbidding words in verse 7 and 9, cut it down, it would be easy to hear nothing else. It'd be easy just to to, to picture some kind of scary music video, and hence a God who is unworthy of our Sunday afternoons, unworthy of our worship, our adoration, our lives. Yet as we listen carefully to this parable, actually, I think the opposite is the case. For Jesus' parable here not only paints a far more detailed picture of God than we first think, but I would argue a far more beautiful picture of God than we can ever imagine. Here is a king who actually we want to be king. Here is a God who is actually worthy of our worship. And so with ears carefully tuned, now verse 6, look with me. And Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit. Point one this afternoon. God plants for fruit. God is good. God plants for fruit. God is good. As Jesus begins the story, we are to imagine an empty uh, vineyard, perhaps a a great estate, maybe somewhere in California with some some bare land beside it. And after the owner purchases it, he gets his gardener to to plant a fig tree. And what is the purpose of this planting? Well, we are told it is for the sake of fruit. The man seeks not a new hobby, not more shade, for his garden in the summer, not a tree for his kids to swing on, that the tree is planted for fruit. 
And the tree, therefore, is planted for something innately good. Well, friends, we all know that, that fruit is innately good, don't we? That's why the supermarket psychologists put all the oranges and the, and the mangoes and the apples right at the front of Kroger. Fruit entices you in and puts you in a good mood for shopping, apparently. That's why candy makers ensure that, that Skittles and, and Jolly Ranchers and gummy bears are, are all colored like fruit and not left like balls and blocks and bears of the white sugar that they are. Fruit is good for you, so good for you, say the scientists, that we are genetically wired to seek it. And whilst we may not buy that whole caveman at Kroger package, there is something to it, isn't there? Genesis chapter 1, the earth brought forth trees bearing fruit, and God saw that it was good. Indeed, two chapters later, it is the innate attractiveness and the goodness of the fruit that traps humanity. Satan twists God's words in the garden by saying, but, but, but isn't fruit good? Genesis 3, 6, take this fruit, you will not die. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and she took the fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband. God's people are exiled from that fruit-filled Eden next and, and the judgment is thorns and thistles. The desire for, for, for good fruit then continues the promised land holds out the hope of, of, of grapes and, and figs and, and olives. Indeed, the climax of the first part of the Bible could easily be Joshua 5.12. No longer did Israel eat manna that year, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan. Yet as we read on in our Bibles, there comes a realization that goodness for Israel is not finally found in the bottom of a Canaanite fruit bowl, but rather true fruit which leads to a blessed life, is, is evidenced by living according to God's word. Indeed, as we read together just earlier, moments ago, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks in, not in the counsel of the wicked, but delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like what? Like a tree, planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. In all that he does, he prospers. The message of much of the Old Testament is that the good fruit of life is tasted when we obey our creator. And so God's word is planted amongst his people, Israel, so that they might enjoy great fruit. The psalmist and the prophets say obedience to God yields a fruit that is delicious. And so many of us know that from experience, do we not? Selfishness and sin are, are, are actually sour. But submission to God is sweet. Obeying God does not mean a suffering-free life, but it does mean a sweeter life. For how sweet are the, the fruits of marriage when a, when a husband and a wife walk closely with God? How sweet are the fruits of church when its members love the law of the Lord? How sweet are the fruits of friendship when, when, when friends meditate on God's word together? In the Old Testament, fruit is, is always synonymous with the, with the good blessing that comes from following the maker's instructions. Likewise, in the New Testament, fruit is synonymous with the blessing that, that, that comes from having the maker live in us to help us obey his instructions. Famous words of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And friends, again, how good are these fruits? 
How good is life when siblings love one another? When your spouse is joyful, when your enemy seeks peace with you? When your boss is patient, when your friends are kind? And so returning to the parable, as we stare at this picture of God, we must admit that we stare at a very good gardener. One who is first and foremost, one who looks for fruit in his trees. Who desires that his people might fulfill their purpose. Yes, producing fruit for the gardener's glory, but also producing fruit for their own good. Friends, God did not plant you in this world in the secret hope that you'd be miserable. In the secret hope that he could use his chainsaw and and cut down a failed crop. God planted you in the hope, as revealed here, that he might see fruitful trees, lives that are good, prosperous, lives that experience the goodness of obedience to him, lives that experience the goodness of, of having his spirit. God plants for fruit. God is good. Yet as we look at the context here in Luke's gospel, as Jesus tells this parable, we are to see that there is a particularly good fruit, a first fruit, if you will, that God looks for in his people now. And that first fruit is the fruit of humble repentance. Humble repentance. If you look with me to verse 1, which sets the context here, you'll see that, that some people come to Jesus here with the latest uh, grisly headline from the Jerusalem Times. They come to Jesus and say, Jesus, did you hear? Jesus, did you see on Twitter, verse 1, Pilate, that Roman governor, just killed some Galileans at the temple, he mixed their bad blood with their bad sacrifices. What is the purpose? What is the purpose of telling this horrid tale? Well, it's the same reason often that you and I love to talk about the news if we're honest. The purpose is so that they can feel good about themselves. The breaking news story that they bring is akin to, did, did you hear about how Trump, who mocked COVID, got his own White House officials sick? Or did you hear about that Democrat candidate, the one who opposed Brent Kavanaugh? Did you hear that he has been caught up in a, in a scandal of his own? They say, Jesus, look at the judgment that is falling down on all the people who are not like me. And what is Jesus' response, verse 2? He answered them, do you think that these Galeans were worse sinners than all the other Galeans because they suffered in this way? Now I tell you, unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Can you see what Jesus says? Jesus says disaster in other people's lives is not a reminder that you in comparison are fruitful enough for God. Disaster in other people's lives is a reminder that nobody is fruitful enough for God. As Dr. Darrell Bock writes here, the threat for God's people was not Jerusalem's fall, but the threat of no one being able to stand before God. And hence, what is the good fruit that God looks for in his chosen fig tree, Israel? What is the good fruit that God longs for in you and me sitting here right now? The first fruit, the, the good fruit, the best fruit, the fruit that God seeks in us is a humble repentance. An ability to admit, as Jesus says here, that we are no worse sinners, no worse offenders, 
than people who look as if they end up judged. An ability to admit that we have the capacity to be those failed politicians of our day. The good fruit that the tender gardener looks for is a humble repentance. Friends, please see here quite clearly that Jesus does not love people who arise and go to him and say, did you hear how fruitless this person was? No, Jesus loves people who arise and go to him and say, in truth, I do not produce enough fruit that makes me worthy of not being judged. I see the barrenness of my branches and I am sorry. The spiritual produce that God looks for in a broken world is a broken heart. The good fruit that is longed for by Jesus here is verse 3 and verse 5 again, repentance. And again, friends, can you see how good this fruit is? And therefore, how good God is in his seeking of it in us. For ironically, it is only when we consider our lack of good fruit that good fruit is then born. For what is the blessing of a good marriage founded upon? How do the fruits, the good fruits of joy and and peace and patience come? Well, they come only when we humbly repent, when we stop rooting our lives in ourselves, when we see that the, the, the fig tree that is us is sick, when we humbly ask God for forgiveness in Jesus, when we graft ourselves into Jesus, the true vine, and when we produce spiritual fruit found only in him. The good fruit of repentance, true repentance, the good fruit of humbly coming, arising and coming to Jesus is is encapsulated in a wonderful hymn by the 18th century English minister Joseph Hart, who writes this, come ye thirsty, come and welcome, God's free bounty glorify true belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh, come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, if you never tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. God plants for fruit, the fruit of humble repentance. God is good. However, there's a second aspect of of God seen in this parable. It drowns out the seemingly perturbing sound of of God's going to cut you down. Another aspect which makes him worthy of our worship. At point two this afternoon, God patiently waits for fruit. God is merciful. God patiently waits for fruit. God is merciful. Merciful. Look down with me again at verse 7. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. In verse 7, we realize that strictly speaking, there are two main characters here. There is the owner of the vineyard who holds the land, and then there is the, is the vine dresser, the one who works the land. But in reality, these two characters represent the same being, God. Now, we're not to read into that, that therefore, that God is some kind of schizophrenic, or this parable highlights a dispute between the owner, God the Father, perhaps, and the vine dresser, God the Son. 
However, we are to understand that there are times when the beauty and the richness of God's character means that dilemmas come up. Indeed, just picture the dilemma here with me. The owner of the estate walks out of his house and down into the fields towards the tree. And his trusty gardener walks out of his shed and up into the fields towards the tree and they, and they meet in the middle for their weekly board meeting. And they both examine the numbers with great hope. They both want exactly the same thing for the tree. They both desire to see it produce good fruit. But verse 7, again, they find none. And out of a good desire to see good fruit, the estate owner says with frustration and, and sadness, perhaps in his voice, I think it's time we're in the fruit business. We're not going to see any fruit on this one. Three years now, we've had this weekly meeting. 156 meetings we've had and we've seen nothing. But out of his good desire to see good fruit too, the gardener says with great grace and hope, well, leave it with me again. I'll do the very best I can for it again. I'll dig around it again, verse 8. I'll loosen the soil. Maybe my weekly watering is not quite getting down into the roots. I'll put some manure on it again, verse 8. I'll use fertilizer. I'll give it every possible chance of fruit. Friends, remarkably, that was how God dealt with Israel. And remarkably, that is how God deals with you and I. God plants us for fruit. God is good. And when we produce absolutely nothing for years, God keeps patiently waiting for fruit. God is merciful. Oh, my friends, do you, like me, see yourself in this little fig tree? A young sapling planted by God's grace, a, a little tree who was, who was planted for good fruit, a a fig tree who was set in such promising ground in many senses, perhaps in a country where the Bible was not banned, perhaps in the fertile ground of, of Christian parents, perhaps with youth leaders who, who loosened the soil, perhaps with a pastor who brought you nourishment and watered you faithfully week after week after week after week. And yet for many years, you produced nothing. Friends, how patient the Lord is with his people. How we may marvel at his mercy in waiting for us to come to an end of ourselves. How amazing that, that God should wait for some of us here for, for years, for some of us here for decades, until we finally started producing fruit in Jesus because we came to God in repentance. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, the thing that is most shocking about that Marilyn Manson song of last year is not that Marilyn Manson desired to, to bury God with lyrics that sought to mock him, but that God in his amazing patience allowed Manson to write it and to sing it, and to record it, and to let it be played for the last year so that he could become rich. It is exactly one year ago since it's released. And it is 24 years since Manson's first album, Antichrist Superstar. And it is over 30 years since he changed his name in order to celebrate the sex symbol Marilyn Man Monroe and the mass murderer Charles Manson. And Marilyn Manson is still singing today. 
Why? Because God is being patient with him. God is merciful. In the words of the Puritan minister Stephen Charnock, God's patience is the silence of his justice and the first whisper of his mercy. God's patience is the silence of his justice and the first whisper of his mercy. Friends, how has God's patience and mercy been evidenced in your life? Moreover, for those of us who have come to see God's amazing patience and mercy, how does the way in which he has treated us in the past help us to be patient and merciful with others now? Friends, how quick are you to see a lack of fruit in other people? A certain lack of of goodness in your parents, perhaps, or your children, or in your non-Christian colleagues, or maybe in your fellow church members, maybe even in your flawed elders, and think, therefore, that you have reason to cut them down, or at least cut them out of your life altogether. What What would it look like? What would it look like for you and I this week to be as patient and merciful with others in this season? as God has been with you in the past. And so again, friends, in all this, can you see that that God is is worthy of such worship? Point one, God plants for fruit, God is good. Point two, God patiently waits for fruit, God is merciful. And thirdly and finally, God prunes the fruitless, God is just. God prunes the fruitless, God is just. In verse nine, The vine dresser concludes, look there again. Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The fruit-loving estate owner and his gardener have have been patient for many, many years. And finally, another year of mercy is decided upon. But after that, if there is still no fruit, no good fruits of the Spirit, no good fruits of repentance, no coming to Jesus in humility and faith, then the fig tree is to be pruned, lopped from the land, axed from the ample supply of water that it has, felled from the fertile ground of this earth. Friends, does that still seem harsh to you? Perhaps it's tempting to think, well, I appreciate God's goodness and I appreciate God's patience, but why can't God just just deal with a lack of fruit? Why can't he just deal with it with a lack of repentance? Why does he have to judge a lack of love and and joy and peace and, and, and patience and goodness? Well, the reason why God cannot stomach fruitlessness forever is the same reason why we cannot stomach fruitlessness forever. We may hunger for good fruit in other people, and we may in our, on our best moments be willing to be patient for a little bit when others do not show it. But eventually when people keep being fruitless, loveless, joyless, impatient, deeply unkind, keep hurting us with their lack of fruit, we desire justice. As I said at the beginning, Marilyn Manson's song, God's Gonna Cut You Down was a mocking cover of an old folk song. A song recorded by other white men from a 
so-called Christian generation, the likes of Elvis Presley and, and Johnny Cash sung it. But perhaps most poignantly and most famously, it was sung by the civil rights campaigner Odetta Holmes, a talented black female singer who grew up going to church in Birmingham, Alabama. A girl who grew up with all the lovelessness and lack of fruit of the Ku Klux Klan. A woman who experienced the fruits of misogyny in her music career. A singer who was oppressed by other people all her life. And what was her hope in the midst of, of, of dealing with such painful fruitlessness in other people? Well, it was in the reality of the words that she sung. But as sure as God made black and white, what's down in the dark will be brought to light. You can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. Eventually, justice will come. Maybe not in this life, but certainly at the end. For God not only plants for fruit, and God not only patiently waits for its production, but God finally prunes because God is wonderfully just. And he waits today. He waits today for the evil racist and the hurtful misogynist. And he waits today for the pornography addict and the social media troll. And he waits today for the gossip and the liar and for the one who never forgives other people. He waits today for the cruel and selfish father and for the mother who is always losing it with her children. And he waits today for the one who listens to Jesus for week after week after week after week here and yet still sits here unrepentant. But tomorrow... His good justice will come. The estate owner and the gardener set their calendar. Can you picture them in your minds? A year from now, they shall return. They shall bring with them either the acts of justice or they shall bring with them deep baskets to pick the sweet fruits of humble repentance. What will happen next? What will the tree do? Well, friends, in many senses, you shall decide the end of this story for yourself. Your owner has not returned yet. Today is a day of repentance. Today is a day for accepting that you cannot bear any fruit yourself. Today is a day for trusting in the true vine, the beautiful vine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is a day to keep on abiding in him. Today is a day for more fruit which shall delight our owner. You have heard the truth from the lips of the Lord Jesus, the true vine, the one who stands ready to give you all the fruit you need to stand before a God of total justice. But time is short and you must do business with God. I'm not gonna ask you to come down the front now but please know that there is still time to repent. When this service ends, when you go home, when you turn out the light at night, there is still time to worship the vineyard owner.
the God who plants for fruit, the God who is good. There is still time to thank the vine dresser, the God who patiently waited for you for, for so many years, the God who is merciful. There is still time to come in repentance to the God who prunes the fruitless, the God who is just. Let's pray to him now. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, would you work in us that which is pleasing to you? Would you help us to see the beauty of your goodness and your desire for fruit? Would we praise you as the one who desires good fruit? Would we produce good fruit, we pray? First and foremost, would we be those who produce the fruit of a humble repentance, a repentance that makes us daily arise and go to Jesus. And being in Jesus by faith, would we look back and would we marvel with wonder at, Father, your great patience to us in years past. And may your patience and mercy in us help us to be patient and merciful with others. And perhaps above all, would you make us mindful, particularly any here who have not repented, that the day of justice will come would you help us, therefore, to see an urgency here and yet your grace and your mercy in yet another day to repent and believe? It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.